Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Coffee Chats, the show where I bring you the top sales leaders across the entire tech and SaaS industry. This week, I'm so excited to introduce Kyle Pennington, who is a strategic solutions consultant at Procore. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. And as we were just warming up here, like I do with every single guest, I was so pumped, Kyle, to hear that you're, you've been so excited to jump onto podcast and, and you were thinking about, you know, told me a little bit of a story of potentially starting one internally, um, also just being a guest further. So I'm really excited to have you. The curious question that I have is why were you so excited to be on a podcaster or, or host one as well? Um, I've always enjoyed content. I'm a big consumer of podcasts myself. So it's always been in being in sales myself, you know, getting in front of people and, and, and presenting podcasts feel like it does a little bit of both, uh, including interviewing folks and, and getting to the, the heart of some things that make them tick and asking them questions. I, I think it, it kind of fits my personality. So yeah, you're, you're fulfilling a dream for, for me <laughs> to be a, a guest on a show. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And, and uh, I, I would say that uh, being a guest on my show is far from a dream, but I, I will take the compliment. I appreciate that, Kyle. So you mentioned that you're in sales right now. Uh, you're currently at Procore. You are one of, you're a senior solutions engineer in the strategic space there. But the interesting thing is that you did not start there. You actually started your career in construction science, or at least that's what you studied in college. But before we talk about construction science and, and what that transition was from studying uh, construction science to being a project manager, uh, estimator, up until the switch into SaaS solutions engineering, um, which everybody knows I'm really excited about uh, solution, the, the uh, transferability of skills. I want to let take us back first to Kyle's early childhood. So can you just paint a picture for, for everyone of uh, what you were like as a child, any formative experiences, um, and even talk maybe some of the, the early jobs that you had up until maybe you went to college? Sure. So uh, let's see how far back you want to go. Um, oldest of uh, three kids, two younger sisters who are quite a bit younger than me. Um, we grew up primarily with a single mom who was a school teacher. Uh, dad passed away uh, when I was in middle school. And so obviously formative thing there. Um, and it, it was... Uh, it kind of led me to to wanting to be secure and and safe in in life. I would say is is what it kind of kicked off because obviously with single mom, three kids, saw how hard she had to work as a school teacher to keep things keep things running, send us all to college, um, you know, contributing as much as I can. So it really prompted me to start working pretty early. Uh, I think uh, I started my first job at a, a large retailer. Uh, when I was 15 and um, was just barely able to work. And I worked there for quite a few years. I think uh, I've done just about every job there is in retail, including unloading the trucks and selling dress shirts to selling sneakers and, and everything in between there. Um, so I, um, I had that. I think it encouraged me to really work hard. Uh, it, it put, I think I've always just personality based have been uh, someone who, works against, I would say, some like default laziness. So sometimes I overcorrect to just work hard to, to make sure that nobody gets that perception of me. Right. Um, some self-doubt as far as, you know, skills and knowledge. So you work the opposite direction to, to gain as much knowledge as you can um, and not overcorrect into being the person who, uh, who feels like they know everything and nobody wants to be around. So 
Um, yeah, I think that was, you know, the, the, the early years of my life were that direction. And then when I go to college, it's looking at, okay, what's, what's something I like, I like building, I like putting things together, finding better ways to do things. Um, started with engineering because I thought it was going to be a very secure financial job, you know, always need for mechanical engineers. Really didn't like it from the moment I got there, but stuck to it a little bit too long uh, because I didn't want to be the person that they they booted out for someone who couldn't do it. And so two years into college at Texas A&M, I said, I'm going to go look at other stuff. Uh, I looked at the architecture school, found construction science, which was something that was what I thought architects did as I grew up, which was actually put the building together and get it done versus just uh, designing. And so latched on there, loved it, learned every learned everything I could and loved every piece of of what gets a building put together and um, jumped straight into construction at general contractors after that. Wow, that is so exciting. And let's we'll take a pause there because there's sure. a number of areas that I want to to dive into as well. Um, number one, I mean, obviously, sorry to hear the loss of your father at such a young age, um, but it sounds like your mom taught you a lot about hard work and, and, and about family and trying to, to provide for that. And I know that you're currently the fam, uh, the father of, of two children as well. What what was maybe some of the biggest the best parenting advice that you're that you're that you learned from just viewing your mom, or maybe even that she taught you, or even uh, with your father early on as well? Um, I think I did a lot of emulating when I was when I was young. Um, and I, one of the things I picked up is just you know uh, in a conversation you 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 might not be the smartest person there. Um, and, but there's always things in life where are difficult and a large portion of the population avoids those things because they're hard. So the couple of people who can lean in there and, and do those, those kind of dirty, um, less appealing or maybe less glamorous jobs, I've kind of leaned in on those and it's, it's been, you know, done a lot for my life to, to grab those and, um, I like being the guy that's like, if nobody else wants to do it, let's see if Kyle will do it. And uh, if I can find a better way to do it and turn it around, then that's that's the dream for me. Yeah, and what like what drive like you could have very easily, you know, once uh, during the time of your your father passing, like you could have very easily went down a different path, and it could have been very destructive, right? Like, what motivated you so much to be that hardworking person and that person who ultimately you want to take on those hard things because most of the time people, whether we're talking about uh, the, you know, the loss of um, somebody in our family or even just in your day-to-day life, people don't, people like to avoid tough situations and awkward interactions and all of those things. What's the importance of leaning into that? And, and what's some of the biggest lessons that you learned as a result over the course of your career? Um, there's a lot there. Uh, so what did I learn throughout the course of my career? Uh, a lot of things are run by the people who show up. You know, uh, I started some organizations at the Association of General Contractors um, without having any kind of special skills over anyone else. But three or four of us young constructors put together a group in San Antonio when I worked there. And we built a group and it grew into this really fantastic thing as more and more people latched onto it. And we got the support of the companies behind it. But it wouldn't have gotten started if a couple of us um, weren't encouraged by our bosses to just go do this thing that, you know, we're not really sure how to put it together, but go do it. Um, we did it again in Austin 
and um, just building on things like that of, hey, let's give it a shot. We may not know what we're doing. Um, it may fail, uh, but let's make a run at it anyway. And I've just had a lot of success at that and kind of encourage you, you to keep doing it. Yeah, hundred percent. You get that, that feedback loop and that's fantastic to hear because people don't let, you know, some people just hate failure and like, or will do every single thing that they could do to avoid it. Uh, but you're, uh, but it, it's unbelievable that you went that way. I think it's really interesting too, that you mentioned that you worked in retail and had a variety of different jobs. And I think that that's, um, I, I, I say that because I had a lot of jobs growing up too. I, I started, you know, working at Lehigh University doing concessions, right? So I got some of the food stuff, but I learned customer service and I learned marketing and I learned some management skills there, like all outside of what my main title was. Then of course I worked at, you know, I, in the, in the, my, my dad is a brick Mason as well. I don't think I mentioned that previously. So uh, another area why I, I love construction as well is I learned so much about grit in building. And I, I think that I'm using a lot of those same, and I was a Lego person. Did, did you like building Legos and, and um, blocks yeah. and all those kind of things as well? Uh, yeah, we're, I'm actually joining you from my wife's office. Um, uh, but my office in the background here uh, typically has a bunch of, of large Lego sets. In fact, these flowers right here were a gift from uh, my kids with Legos. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Legos. And, and uh, fun fact, uh, Tui, the CEO of Procore, is a huge Lego fan and nerds out with us in our uh, Lego Slack channel. Oh, a Lego Slack channel. That's a first. I have to go. Oh, yeah. I, have to, I have to get one of those at Dooley as well. That'd be fun. Um, it's really funny that you say that too, because like uh, my son has a, a little train set that's sitting out here and I probably get more joy and fun from building those little things than <laughs> maybe not more than what he does, but it's, yeah. it's really fun to have those mutual building situations as well. And really to just see, um, see that happening. I think you mentioned your son is eight or 10 years old. Uh, do you have some of those experiences with him as well and get to see him building and using some of that early thought process as well? Yeah, I, I really appreciate their creative mind when it when it comes to Legos. Um, I've it's evolved into something different for me. It's more Zen than anything because you can kind of turn your brain off and have a single focus and we're just finding the piece and putting it together per the instructions. But my kids just want to build the things, you know, the, they don't care as much for the instructions. And, uh, I love seeing that part of it. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a creative outlet, but we can both still enjoy the same things, right? Like they help me put things together. We toss ideas back and forth on, on the little spaceships that they build and whatnot. So yeah, it's a, it's just a great toy. The greatest well, toy in my opinion. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you as well. And I see that there's some, um, you know, I, there's some sales leaders that I've talked to as well, who were, were Lego folks early on in their career. And then that's why they love startups so much because they're still taking a lot of that same creativity and that same process, probably not that same Zen moment that you were mentioning before. Cause it's, there's startups are a little bit more stressful than, than just some Legos, but, um, but you get the point of just building something and being able to see what you, what you built. And, and it's really inspiring to see a project come together as a result. And I think that that's one of the most rewarding things that I love about construction of taking something that wasn't that way and making it different. And, and it's really rewarding. Um, sometimes we don't get that always in sales, right? Because we just see um, this from my perspective as well. Um, we just see like one part of that, or we under, we know that we're a part of their process and we're going to make it better. But sometimes it just doesn't get that same, that feeling. Do you, do you get that sense as well sometimes, Kyle? I do. And, and, you know, you're echoing what my favorite part of construction was because 
you know, it does take grit. There's, there's always stages to a construction project, right? Like defined stages, but there's also emotions that go along with those stages. Most people that I knew in construction, myself included, were very excited to start a project. And then that kind of, that little honeymoon phase goes away. And then we're just in the grind for a large part of this pro this project. And it's just one foot in front of the other, approving the next thing, building the next thing. And as it comes together, then you get towards the end and we start getting really excited again. Look at this thing coming together. Look how proud we can be of this. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things when I transitioned into sales at SaaS software, um, there wasn't that, you know, we weren't uh, selling a, a physical thing that, you know, existed that you could sit on a desk. And at the end of the day, how do we, how do we measure our success with that? How are we proud of what we're doing? And so we really had to, for myself and a lot of the other people that came from construction too, really look back and, and figure out what made this fulfilling. Uh, we've done, you know, I've done a lot of self-analysis on those things. Yeah. And let, let's talk, let's dive into that self-analysis because as you know, I'm all about the transferability of skills. Yeah. As I, I probably said a number of times already today, but like when you break down your job as a solution consultant, or even as a, um, even in construction, obviously I know that there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. There's grit, there's planning, there's communication with different people. What are some of the other like block, like the, the basic fundamental building blocks of some of those skills that, that you're currently using uh, from construction into uh, the sales and software space now? So uh, I, I stole these categories from another sales leader, admittedly, but the ones that really tend, the personality types that really tend to resonate for me are empathy, curiosity, and, and drive. They're, they're important for sales. And, you know, Everybody has a little bit different level of these. It's actually my favorite interview question when I'm interviewing either account executive or sales engineers is if you have those three categories, put a label on a, on three jars with those on them and I give you 10 marbles, how do you distribute those marbles? And it's 10 on purpose with three jars because they can't give me just a level across. Yeah, the not top. three, 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 right? No right answer. But I want to, you know, I want to know what makes somebody tick. And that's an easy way to kind of get started and ask a bunch of questions off of that. Um, and you see different, you know, the, the sales engineers tend to have quite a bit more empathy, curiosity. You start seeing a little bit more drive in the account executives. I, you know, I've probably interviewed 50, 75 people at my time here. And, um, you know, it's always, it's what I like. Um, and you know, the, the, the curiosity is, is, is the big one that everybody assumes for, for solutions, engineering, sales, engineering, I think empathy is one that is incredibly important. Um, I, I made the mistake early in my career of really trying to quickly solution someone's problem. It's like, you got a problem, let's fix it really quickly. Like I was thinking of the answer before they got the question out. Right. And, you know, learning to ask that second kind of follow-up question, the, the going deeper and, and really understanding what they mean by that. You know, there's the, there's the famous analogy um, where someone uh, wants, a, wants a shovel, but they don't really want a shovel. They need a hole and they really need a hole because they need a fence and they really need a fence because they want some privacy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you just sold them the shovel, you're not really giving them the privacy. So, um, so you know, uh, a pretty concept, but but definitely a, a theme and an attitude you have to have in early discovery. You can't really, uh, you can't really do 
uh, a solutions engineer, getting them to a technical closure on, on your product if you don't really understand what they need, not just what they're asking for initially. No, a hundred percent. And you need to be, and, and I think that I can't help but think that, and we'll get into to more of the solutions consulting later sure. on, but just on that point is like, I can't help but think that that experience of you being in construction and understanding those second, third, fourth layer questions, yeah. you know, and one of the biggest lessons that I, I learned that as well is like, I think a, an old sales manager or just somebody in sales that I follow was like, you could, if you ask one question, you could solve that question, that problem. But what, what's, what if they ask a second or third question that you could have solved those additional problems all with one solution, but you only, you only bought the shovel and now you have to go back to Home Depot and get the fence post, right? Like if you need to make sure that you're curious and asking those questions and, and asking that third, fourth, fifth question so that you could really understand it. And I'm sure that you have to, I mean, I know from a solutions consultant that you need to do that, especially working in the space that you are, you're in the strategic space and you have sales cycles that are what, probably 12, 18, 24 months as well. Yep. So you need to make sure that you're keeping a, a focus on what that main goal is. Now, diving back a little bit, and there's a couple other questions before we, we dive through the career. I, I just love your background here, Kyle. Um, so number one, I know you mentioned like when you started in construction, you were really excited that honeymoon phase, and then you had to slog into the dirt, and then uh, not, not, I mean, not, no pun intended, but um, sometimes, sometimes the, you slog through the dirt. Yeah, <laughs> I just meant working through, you know, grit, whatever. Uh, and then you you get that light at the end of the tunnel, and you're really excited to get there. But what is your biggest piece of advice for people who are in that middle two thirds? I guess we'll say to continue to push forward or to continue to see that goal, even if it is one of your customers that's 18, 24 months out. Um. I think the the biggest general advice is to 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 keep your eye on the larger project. Um, we can it's really easy to get bogged down in one piece of paperwork, one change, and and really obsess over that and the uncomfortableness of whatever that situation is. But if you can keep your eye on, hey, we're trying to get this building together by a certain date for this client so that they can use it for whatever purpose they have. Um, it really allows you to slog through. I mean, the, the very first project I had was at the San Antonio Zoo. It was a three-year multi-phase project, and it was the first one I ever did. So I was out there a long time. And it was, uh, I, I think you really got a sense of what it meant to do what we're building, because it was right in the middle of an active zoo, and you saw the passion that the people had that were working with the animals and, you know, the current conditions that the animals in these, these hippos that we were building their enclosure was the first phase. And they had a very small area that was built in the seventies and, you know, they really couldn't swim. And then we were building them this wonderful big pool. And so kind of keeping that in perspective was what kept it going. And you can find things that aren't so obvious in almost any project you're working on if you if you continue to focus on the outcome when it gets to those difficult times because there's always the difficult times and you think like hey if if this were easy they'd let anybody do it right but if i can do it and it's hard and we can keep going i'll be the one that can also partake in the pride and a little bit of the glory on the back end that hey we made it through that and then having you know having a team you know construction is big you know Nobody does one construction project by themselves. There's so many people in a team. Uh, we joke that some of them were contractually obligated to be your team member. And some of them, <laughs> you know, you worked with them at the same company, but uh, it didn't really matter as long as you kind of figured out 
hey, this is us against a problem. And this is not really, I have to win and you have to lose. Um, I've been places where that was the the theme and it's just a much more difficult place to work. And I've really carried that over into, into sales and software because a lot of times, you know, you do have a client, a customer that's that's not happy with a particular way our company handles uh, a, a problem or a tool set. And, and you have to realize like, they're not, they may be venting to you, but this is really a problem that they wanna solve. And so what can we do to help solve this problem and not uh, have it be an us against them kind of thing. Right, absolutely. And I feel like the, in what you're doing, and just I love that, well, number one, I think that, that you just wrapped up sales to begin, like in, in general, just all of that experience, I think is just so important in, in being a sales professional. But one of the biggest things that diving into that the hippo example, like you could have just went and showed up to the zoo and just built, like, I'm just building a pool. Right. But no, what you did was you, you put your feet into the shoes of somebody who was working at the zoo or maybe even one of those hippos and saying like, you had a vested interest in the outcome of that project because you wanted to see that this, the goal and see that succeed. How could people, how could more people do that? If you're just selling software of really trying to get your feet in and and it's not just me selling this, whatever this thing is, I can't even hold it. Right. But how, how do you latch on to more of the this is going to help them do this, or I can't wait to see that hippo thriving in that environment. How could he do that in sales? I think that's where empathy and, and a proximity to people uh, comes into play and, and the curiosity as well, right? Like um, it's easy to look at something like a hippo from afar and say, okay, it's an animal at a zoo. But if you meet the keeper that takes care of that hippo and they talk to you a little bit about like, this is where this hippo came from, um, how it, how they named it, what its kind of quirks are, and, and you know, really a, a pretty ugly looking animal by all, all accounts hey. is extremely fascinating when you learn that, you know, not only are they very territorial, they're extremely fast, they don't look it, they're, uh, you know, they're deadly in the water, the most dangerous animal in Africa, lots of these little things that like, if you just walk by a zoo and said, oh, oh a hippo is a hippo and let's move on and go look at the tigers, um, you can translate that a lot into your clients and sales. They may not be someone that you want to have a beer with or, you know, go have dinner with. Um, but if you can find some common ground with those people, they, you know, I can almost promise you that everybody you meet in sales has something interesting about themselves or a struggle they've overcome that will be inspiring. If you can get to that with them and build that connection to them, it just makes the whole process easier for both of you to really understand where they're coming from. Right. And I think it cuts, I think that point in itself cuts that you versus us mentality. It's us working together to achieve that common goal. Now you mentioned empathy and curiosity again and drive. I, I couldn't agree more, but let me turn the tables on you. I'm interviewing you, Kyle. You have, I'm giving you 10 marbles. Where are they going for you? Um, I put quite a bit in. So if I, if I'm doing my, my four, I would put that, I'd start with curiosity Four there. Um, I have uh, six left. So then I probably equally do empathy and drive with the other three and three. I couldn't agree with you more. I know curiosity. I think, I think curiosity could help lead to empathy because curiosity allows you to ask some more of those questions, which could help you understand that. And when you understand somebody else, I think it drives you more. So I think that you got it. I think the curiosity on top is is what my if I was interviewing with you, Kyle, that's what 
That's what I would say. And I, I hope I landed that one as well. One other point that I thought was really interesting. And I know I got this advice from John Barrows. I don't know if you know him or not. Um, but one of the things that, you know, he, he mentioned that uh, some situations with his wife that would come up and he was mu very much a fixer like you, like when you're hearing a problem, you want to get that solution. What he, what piece of advice that he learned, and I'm, I learned it from him as well, is any time his wife starts to say something to him, he stops and it, he would try to fix too. He asks the question, am I here? Okay, I'm hearing you. Am I here to listen? Would you like my advice or would you want me to fix this? And when you ask that question and I ask, I, I've done it with my wife too, then it's just like when you're typically there to go and fix something, if they say, hey, I just want you to listen right now, then you're full speed ahead. And that's what you need to do. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll write that down. Um, <laughs> no, I, I've been married for 16 years and that's like, you know, kind of couples counseling 101, right? But um, it's true. And uh, a lot of people just need to be heard. There's another fantastic book on management, not to change the subject here, but uh, Nine Lies About Work is my favorite management book. Um, and one of the things are uh, that, that one of people, people want, the assumption is that people want feedback. And the book argues that people don't want feedback, they want to be heard. And so if you can give them a voice, uh, again, you know, back to the, the empathy and curiosity, um, it's what they need to thrive in, in a business environment. I think it's, it's true for relationships too. So much of business and is overlaps with relationships, especially in sales, it's all relationships. That's a million percent it, man. And, and the people that get to, to know that sooner, where it's not that you versus I, and that it's building a, a genuine relationship, right? When you're able to do that and you're not, you know, that's relationships are everything. They're, they're, I always key, not key. I always say that relationships are keys to doors that you would have never been able to unlock otherwise, whether it's putting their guard down and trying to, to help with a situation, getting an introduction to somebody else. Like relationships are, if yeah. you're able to effectively build relationships, the sky's the limit in life and in sales as well, because a lot of those skills transfer yeah. around. Now, another question in diving into the, the Texas A&M, I know we're going to jump through some of your career here. Um, you mentioned that the first two years you started doing engineering, but you realized, ah, I don't know if I really want to do this. A lot of people at that point would just continue to go with engineering because, you know, diminishing returns or whatever the case is, mm -hmm. is I already studied two years of this. I need to finish this. What advice do you have uh, for um a, a, a person who's in college, maybe potentially looking at making a switch or having kids who would, who are considering a switch. What advice do you have for those situations where somebody was in a similar situation of being there for two years and wanting to switch out? Yeah. You know, I would say let, let yourself get into the grind part of a project, uh, a career, um, your time in college and see how you feel about it. Right. If, if the end goal of, you know, as I learned what my life was going to be like as an engineer, I grew less and less in in love with that idea of what I was going to be doing. And a lot of people have done very creative things with engineering. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but for me, you know, coming out of college and, and continuing to be a designer of uh, what would most likely be some kind of widget in an industry that would give me a job, I, I just didn't appeal to me. And when I got over to, to building things, it was like, okay, this is still a grind. I'm still learning about, you know, HVAC units, which aren't extremely fascinating to me, but the end result of that, you know, knowing this is a component of a building that I need to understand, helped me get through those classes that something else didn't. So I would say, 
you know, there's a point where your gut really starts talking to you and saying, hey, this might not be a good thing. And it's in uh, for me, it's when I'm losing sight of the end goal. Um, even if I stick with this, I'm not going to like the result. And then that's when I think it's time to, to start thinking about a change. And I've always been kind of a lower risk person anyway. So I'm always looking to parlay what I've learned into something else, maybe a little more literally than, than someone like you has parlayed just a skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, but engineering isn't too far off from construction and construction software isn't too far off uh, from building construction. So I've always been a little bit of that low risk. Let's build on and see if we can tweak it just a little bit and uh, and see if it gives me a better better result, better feelings. No, a hundred percent. I thought that that was what, what, you know, from our initial conversation from the jump, I thought that that was something that was really interesting to me as well, because I could see, you know, when I look at somebody's LinkedIn profile now, just from, just from the experience of podcasting and just looking like I could see where that line was through your career. But I think it's really interesting to help illuminate that as well, because again, it like, it's okay that you didn't want to do engineering or it's okay that you went and got into construction uh, science because right now, I mean, you're, you're using all of those same skills in that job right now. You're an engineer, right? But you take all of that experience of the project management and um, like all of those different skills. And now you're using them in your, in your role today. So, I mean, like everything comes back around and that that's the big lesson that I stand on my soapbox with, because I, I think people really need to understand because I went through it as well. I went through a crisis of like, oh my God, I spent so much money in college what the hell? Why? Like, why did I go through that? Why did I go to graduate school to just fall into sales? I, I, you could have just went into sales. But one of the interesting things too, and I'd love your, uh, there's some parallels here as well. With When I was in exercise science, studying exercise physiology, what my main thing was doing was I was learning and, and I had a sales coach who taught me this and it, it blew my mind. So shout out to you, Keith. I think uh, if you're listening to this, I really appreciate you. Um, what happened there is when I was studying exercise science, breaking it down, I was looking at muscle physiology and how interconnected systems work together for optimal performance. That's exactly what I'm doing in sales. I'm breaking down people's sales process and, and what they're doing to find that interconnected system to make sure that they're performing optimally. And that's what you did with your, you know, when you're, when you mentioned the HVAC example, that's just one component of, of a house or a building. But you want to make sure when you're building this whole entire structure, you need to make sure that the HVAC is working efficiently so that it could help everything else downstream. What, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I, I totally agree with you. It's, uh, you know, I, I have learned um, through just living 41 years that there's, if there's weak links in your body, it affects way more than just that small component of your body, right? So, I'm, you know, you know this better than I do. I, I think you can translate that to a whole lot of different things um, in your life and in, in business. So I've, I'm completely on board with what you're putting down there. And, uh, you know, you're totally right. And sometimes life is about like finding those little pieces and, uh, and seeing what you can do and, and small tweaks and small changes can, can really benefit the whole, whatever we're talking about here um, in, in ways that you wouldn't imagine. Oh, a thousand percent. And it's really interesting because that, that journey is obviously like, if I, it, you always look back of like yeah. looking back on your path. I, I know for me, I, I do a lot of self-reflection. You said you do as well. Like if I had, I not, you know, done, I mean, like you just think like the butterfly effect, right. Of like all the different things, like had I not gone into sale, had I not fallen into sales, 
then I would not be doing podcasting. If I wasn't in a podcast, I probably wouldn't be at Vidyard before here or Dually as well, because those were some of the, you know, having a podcast and, ha and having that experience was also another way that people were interested in, in what I'm doing. So I think it's really interesting to make sure, and, and it, one of the, the big lessons that I'm trying to, to drive home here is that no matter what you're doing, try to gather as many skills as humanly possible in that role. Because you, even if you're, you're on the way out of a company, you don't, you don't want to be there or you're not in a great position, you're going to learn something from that tough time that you could share to any, in your future, in, in life, in general. Like, don't be afraid to get dirty like, like Kyle did before when, he, when he's slogging through the dirt, right? It, it's so crucial. Now, okay, so you studied, you, know, you made the switch uh, to construction science, then you, you land at CF Jordan, right? What was it like being a project engineer and, and what, what was the, the big shift from, I guess, from the um, theoretical world of, of studying that in college versus jumping into the real world? Like any, any major lessons that learned there? Uh, I, I think the big theme was panic. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Texas A&M is a great construction science school and, and uh, I'm heavily biased, but uh, probably one of, if not the best in the country for training you know, young project managers, but when you hit a job site as a project engineer and working with people who, for the most part, have been doing their job in construction for, you know, since before you were in high school, um, it's very, very intimidating. And, you know, I used to talk to my first superintendent about this quite a bit. So shout out to, to Dennis, um, really helped me gain some confidence and just, hey, your age, your your time doing this doesn't matter. Just do your job well. And that's how you get respect on a construction site. They're still going to make fun of you, right? And I 100%. learned to absorb, you know, a lot in construction between jokes or just being yelled at for, you know, not doing what I should be doing or uh, in a way that it should have been because, um, you know, people are very passionate in construction and there's, there's things that are just flat out unsafe that if you don't do it well, not only yourself, but other people could be injured. Um, and so it, uh, it, it was definitely something that took some time to get some confidence and, you know, they kind of start you pretty slow. You're, you're working a lot of paperwork and kind of checking drawings against design and, and, um, you know, stuff that's not fun. But being able to, to be, I, I was lucky enough to be on a job site, you know, I was at the zoo, I was able to walk around and kind of see the, the pieces moving that I had worked on the paperwork for really helped me kind of connect everything together because, you know, we didn't see a lot of, uh, you know, you can tour a job site and, and learn a little bit, but until you, you can really correlate this paperwork to this physical thing being built is, uh, it, it, you know, until you have that connection, it's hard, it's hard to see it. Yeah, and that ties a perfect bow around the pre the theory versus practice of what of what you were learning there. So uh, that that's unbelievable. Now, diving forward, right? Obviously, you you did that in, in college. You learned all of that stuff. Oh, and, and one other point before I dive in there further, you know, as I said, my dad's in construction. I think that being in construction and being on some of those sites and working with some of those folks not only helped me from working with a diverse group of people because you're working with people from all sorts of life, right? Um, the bluest of blue collar people to the superintendent to the, the, the investor in, in the project, you're working with a variety of people. And you also, to your point, need to have that thick skin because although you're not getting rejected, you're definitely gonna, gonna be um, you know, having people pick on you or joke around. Yeah. 
at no this point, what. it's really hard to hurt my feelings. <laughs> yep. And, and good. And I mean, it, it rightfully so yeah. like you took that experience and, and you're using it forward. So uh, more power to you there. All right, Kyle. So now you, you work through your career. You had project engineering, project management, which I know project management skills are, are crucial to what your job is now, especially, but now you're a senior manager of solutions engineering over at Procore. And the main thing that you guys, you are a SaaS based construction company, right? What's the biggest lesson that you learned from, from your college studies of construction science through the through um, actual working in construction all the way back to software selling? Like any major lessons learned from that jump? Um, I don't know that there's one overarching lesson. I've probably learned hundreds of lessons along the way. Um, if I had to really boil it down, I think it would be uh to have to have faith in yourself that uh, nothing is really unobtainable um and most of most of my personal limitations have been ones that i put on myself and you know my perception of myself and my skill set uh, tends to be less than other people's perception of me and so once you can kind of see yourself from somebody else's lens it opens up quite a bit of your own of your own confidence and and a willingness to accept uh things that are that are scary and and not be kind of uh stuck with with fear or self-doubt uh it's much easier said than done but i think you know it's taken me um you know since you know high school which is way back in 19 uh 1998 for me 1997 um those were you know, it, it's taken that long for me to get some confidence in myself. Um, but once you, once you have the confidence, it really unlocks a, a lot of doors. Oh, confidence is crucial, whether you're in sales or not, right? Just, just being able, and, and obviously it, it takes some confidence as well to just come in and, and record a podcast. that's going to be sent out. So, so, uh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, the best know. advice I ever got, uh, when I first started sales engineering and was very, very nervous and didn't know that I could do it was, uh, uh, uh a guy who had gotten to Procore a couple of weeks before I had, but had figured out that if you, if you say something confidently, people will believe it. And I was like, <laughs> no way, no way it's that easy. And, and people will see right through it, but it, it's true. And, um, you know, I, I've been through a period of my life and my kids can attest to this where I would just con or, uh, say something that was wrong blatantly, but say it confidently and, and people <laughs> will believe you. And my family has keyed on this and they just don't believe anything I say now. <laughs> I overused it to, to bad, but uh, it's true. It's uh, the, the confidence a, brings you a lot. That's a good note to self. I'm going to write that down here as well. So that uh, don't use it for evil. Okay. Okay. Maybe I could start using some of that um, maybe in like discipline with my kids or something of like, even if it's not true, it could build up some of that, that muscle there. <laughs> oh, what's the big, you know, I always ask what, what's your best piece of parenting advice, but like, what was the biggest lesson that you learned from being a parent that helped you in your work or even vice versa? Um, I don't know. I always say that like, I know how to parent my kids six months, a year ago. I don't know how to parent them right now. <laughs> as soon as I get confident and all right, this is how you, you, you treat them. And this is how we can motivate and discipline. It changes. So they definitely keep me on the toes. Uh, maybe, Maybe the lesson learned there is um, things are always going to change and they're constantly evolving and, and your job is, is going to be the same way. 
And if it's not, then uh, you're you're probably a little in a dead end, right? So be comfortable with change, and uh, you know it's always going to be a certain amount of of discomfort in that, but accepting, I guess, is probably is probably better than comfort. Yes, accepting it, it, that word alone is uh, is a huge lesson. I know it's it's tough to accept certain things the way they are, but um, and also too, like I think about when when you mentioned that it's even like a sales process, right? Like, oh, I have this process down and this is working perfectly. We're in a tough environment. I know exactly what to do. And once you figure it out, then something, then something else is going to happen. A COVID will happen or, you know, an economic downturn or, or like there's always going to be these variables that happen, but being able to be adaptable and being accepting of the situation the way it is to ultimately move forward is crucial. Now, would love to ask, obviously you're on this, you know, you're working in the strategic space, 12 to 18 month sales cycles. But I want to talk more on the AE to uh, solutions engineer uh, perspective. Okay. What's the best way that, a, that a, a, a sales rep or an AE account manager, whoever, could leverage the relationship with a solutions engineer? Um, I think the, the, the relationships that I see that work the best are trust and comfort with each other. Um, the, the most successful experience I had when I was a, a, the primary sales engineer working with account executives was, was building a strong relationship with that, you know, the most successful deals I had, um, we, we leveraged each other quite a bit. It wasn't just a, like a, like a father son relationship where everything was coming down from that account executive. Um, you know, if you'll accept a, a sports analogy here, which of course. You probably will, it's, a lot of times, you know, the account executive is seen as like the head coach of, of a football team. There's lots of resources that they're coordinating. And in your early days of a, as a sales engineer, you're maybe a running back or a wide receiver. Your job is to execute a demo really well. Thank you. We'll come back when we need you again. And that's what we're looking for. But as I've gotten this, this strategic and, and enterprise size segment, having that sales engineer elevate to like an offensive coordinator role, um, where they're putting the play together for the technical evaluation, letting them have some of that personnel and coordinate really makes things run well because it's just, we have so many resources available at, at Procore in our strategic selling segment that sometimes the coordination can be the hardest thing. You've got a lot of really smart people that all work in an area that they're going to push and it's up to that account executive overall to be that head coach and coordinate but if they can pull in some coordinators to handle some of that effort it it makes the job doable and not overwhelming and and it's been really fun to watch the sales engineer role really get elevated at Procore in these these bigger deal sets to this role and it's something that I've pushed and have uh, I, I feel gotten pretty good at finding the right personalities for those people that want to be that larger role. And, you know, sometimes uh, we had one last year that just decided, hey, um, it's not very common at Procore to go straight to go to the account executive role. Uh, but he was asked and he's been, you know, one of the most successful um, new AEs we've had. And we have a history of of some of our account executives being the best sale or some of our best account executives being really good sales engineers first. Um, while not common, uh, have been some of the most successful. So um, getting them to that elevated role has been really, really exciting and, and fun to watch and participate. Wow. 
I love Kyle. That was a fantastic analogy. I'm all about analogies for those who, who know me really, pretty well um, or those who don't. I'm, I try to use them all the time. But I love that offensive coordinator type role because like the head coach can't do everything, right? Yeah. Like, and if you try to, to, you know, we've all been there. I've been there in my career um, where you think that you need to do it all, but you can't feasibly do every single thing that needs to be done. So you need to make sure that you're delegating properly and knowing what plays to run and knowing what the de- looking at the defense, right? You're looking at your customer, where is the void or whatnot, or where could we help with, right? Running a play to help that or to bolster that. Like there's so many different analogies that I could have from just that football example alone. So, And, and this is not the career path for every solutions engineer too. You know, if, if, you know, the, if we're going to use another analogy here, it's, a lot of people will renovate their own home by themselves and have a lot of pride in, in having done that. And in smaller segments uh, with clients, that's something that you can do. Um, it's it's a little bit quicker. It's not going to take as long. The, you don't have quite as large a team that you need to bring in on every deals, although those, those resources do exist. Um, you don't need them as often. Um, whereas in the strategic segment, it, it reminds me more of of the larger construction projects where we're bringing all of these people in and like, let's, we can do so much more as a, as a, as a group of people here. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with either end of that spectrum. Um, This is just the personality or the, not the, the personality type that I have that's guided me in this direction. And it's, it's spotting the other people that feel that way and bringing them there and then making sure the people feel really fulfilled and the ones that have the opposite personality and, and like the uh, the other end of the spectrum, none is more valuable than the other uh, when it comes to sales engineering, but um, it's just the personality type that you try to fit the right size. A, a thousand percent. I think of these like one more analogy before I ask, ask my final wrap up question is like, if I was going to go build a shed in my backyard, I odds are I could I could do I could do the framing. I could run the basic electric. I could put the roof on. But if you're talking about that big mansion, that Taj Mahal that you're building, you better believe that we need the, the right people, the right engineer, the structural engineers. We need the right electrical engineers. We need all of those people to act together to build that final project. So just kind of comparing like an SMB type shed deal to the Taj Mahal of a strategic deal. And I, I see you're smirking. I, I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed that analogy as well. I did. <laughs> Perfect. Final question, Kyle. This, this time goes way too fast as always, which means it was a great conversation. If you were teaching a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience, what would you teach and why? What would I teach? Uh, that's a tough one, um, especially for someone that I don't know that I have the special sauce for for any one thing. Um, how about how about high school? Can I go to high school if I was sure. going to high school class? Sure. Um, I think it would be like a financial literacy class because there's a lot of, of common sense. There's a lot of predatory aspects of, of money that prey on people without enough knowledge. And so I, I would really, that's probably, you know, I, I had some really good advice. I got, I got lucky as I was uh, growing up that really helped me be financially literate um and and successful and and a lot of it was you know based on my own fear of you know that was a that was a stress of like how do I take care of a family someday and you know wanting to have a good job and things like that but it's not just that so that's probably what I would teach oh that's Um, fantastic financial literacy 
Oh, I would absolutely take that. I know a lot of people would really benefit from that as well. So this has been amazing, Kyle. Where could people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Um, if uh, I have uh, an Instagram handle, that's uh, another burrito. If you want to see some of the goofy uh, pictures of my pets and weird things we find in our backyard, including some some tarantulas and snakes we have out here in West Texas. Um, I get a lot of comments on that. Of course, you can find me on on LinkedIn. Um, if, uh, you know, I, I love people who reach out on LinkedIn to, to talk about sales engineering or, or life at Procore. Uh, I, my tagline out there is sales engineering is the best job that you didn't know existed. And I feel lots of people have no idea that it's a thing. I certainly didn't until I was approached by an account executive. And, uh, it's, it's been the most fulfilling part of my career I've ever had. And, um, I, I love to share it with other people. I love that. I'm so glad that I was able to have you on the show. I really feel that same way about sales as well, because a lot of people see it as that, that gross, disgusting used car thing. And, uh, I appreciate that you're, sounds like you're trying to elevate the solutions consulting as I'm trying to in the sales world as well. Kyle, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.